I experienced my very first... I won't say my very first. I would say one of my first that I can remember off the top of my head. Rivalry, the rivalry moments between the Red Sox and the Yankees this past weekend. Yankees were playing the Red Sox in Boston uh, in a four-game set. It's only It was only their second time they'd met all, seri- all, all year long. Uh, their first series came at the very beginning of the year. I believe they opened the season playing one another, and they haven't played each other since. So it was odd seeing the Yankees this late into the season for only the second time. And it is only all-star break. Like we're right before the all-star break, but that means we're going to see them a ton in the second half. So, you know, it was just weird to see how many times we had played the Yankees, which was not very much at all up until this point. But anyways, I had my first real like sudden realization of how much I actually care about, um, this rivalry, I guess, uh, us be the, the red, us being the Red Sox. I'm a Red Sox fan. For those that don't know, being a Red Sox fan and vote and rooting against the Yankees, I think that was kind of the. This was kind of the first time where I can remember doing that this early in the regular season. I always want to beat the Yankees just because it's the Yankees. But you know, the opening game of the season, our opening series of the season, we lost. I think I think we they the Yankees took three out of four in that series. But I was like. You know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't my it, w- it wasn't, you know, panic mode after that first series after we lost three out of four. I was like, OK, I mean, it's the first series, whatever. Let's move on. Get on to the next series. That sort of thing. But in this one, for whatever reason, it was life or death for me. They come back. They were down. I believe it was five to two, four to two, something like that. Uh, five to two going into the going into the um, 10th inning. They came back. And then it was the bottom of the tenth inning. Alex Verdugo, uh, he ties it up. It was five to three. That's what it was. They came back technically from five to three down. They were down three to one in the sixth inning. Um, and then in the tenth inning, the Yankees scored two more to make it five to three. Anyways, the um, scored one one more to make it, uh, or no, two more. Excuse me, I, I'm reading this wrong. Two more to make it five to three. And then in the bottom of the si- bottom of the tenth, the Red Sox come up and they score three runs. And Alex Verdugo hits a walk off single into right field. And I remember I'm freaking out. You know, I'm super excited because it's the Red Sox. We beat the Yankees. That feels like a million bucks. We had just lost both the games before. This was a third game of the series. We had just lost both the games before against this team. And it didn't feel like we had any shot of winning any of these games. I thought we were going to get swept just because of how bad we were playing. And, you know, Boston team is kind of riddled with injuries right now. That doesn't help either. But for whatever reason, I remember thinking to myself, why am I freaking out? You know, I was like, we just won six to five. Great. We beat the Yankees. That's always nice, of course. But I I remember sitting down and then thinking, we won six to five. We're a solid, you know, we're a wild. The Red Sox are a wild card team right now. They're 46 and 47 and 40, I think, or something like that. And then I look at the standings and it's like, we're still 15 games back of the Yankees in the AL East. I mean, the game means nothing to the Yankees. I mean, of course, they want to beat their rival, the Red Sox, just like every other Yankee fan, and I'm sure all the Yankees players want to as well. But even if the Red Sox had swept the Yankees in that game, they won all four, the Red Sox would still be 11 games back of the Yankees in the AL East division. It doesn't mean anything. Red Sox, they're a solid wildcard team. Like I said, they're, you know, I mean, not solid right now. They're hurt like crazy. They got a lot of guys down from injury, but they're still a good wildcard team and a team run like the Red Sox. Anytime they're in the playoffs, you kind of have to be a little bit nervous whenever you're taking them on just because of how much experience they have in the playoffs. But the Yankees, I mean, they're running away with the division. It does not really matter. This game 
or, I mean, depending on how they play out the rest of the season, really a lot of the other games aren't going to matter either if they play like they did this first half. They're just going to run away with the division and the best record in the MLB. But the point I'm trying to make is games like that between Red Sox-Yankees, doesn't matter really what it is, Red Sox-Yankees, Oklahoma-Texas, Michigan-Ohio State, those rivalries, and it may be a little less so in baseball because of the frequency that you play your you know, direct rivals. But those games really are the season. When you're a Red Sox fan, you mark down the games that you're playing the Yankees in the regular season. Just because you know those will be important regardless of what your record is. If you beat the Yankees, that's a good day. You know, most wins, if you're winning a game, of course, it's a solid day. But if you beat the Yankees on... You know, uh, on a Wednesday or a Thursday or whatever in an afternoon game, it does not matter. The rest of your day is going to be better because the Yankees, because you beat the Yankees. And it doesn't matter if you're in last place in the AL East and the Yankees are in first place and that game is in, you know, that game would not mean a single thing in the standings. Doesn't matter. We beat the Yankees. I'm happy. That sort of thing. That's kind of what it feels like. And that was my first time really having that. I won't say it's my first time having that realization because in the wild card last year, that was always great. You know, still 2004, I was probably a little young for 2004, but looking back on it, that probably would have been really cool. Um, And then, you know, 2017, I think, no, 2018, excuse me, when we beat them in the ALDS, those all feel great. Of course, those are the ones I look back on and smile the hardest, but it's the wild card game or excuse me, the regular season games where you really get the, like, you know, that you have a rivalry on your hands when those feel like they matter, even if they don't necessarily matter, that's when, you know, you have, you know, a drive to really want to beat this team, regardless of where you are in the standings, how far back you are in the standings, that sort of thing. And this one, you know, it's not, it's not like it's a huge disparity. Like I said, Red Sox, they're, if they play well enough in the second half, they can be a wildcard team. Yankees are running away with the ALE. So there is a possibility that they play each other in the playoffs again. So maybe it could end up affecting the standing somewhat down the line. But right now, it doesn't matter that much because there's still a whole other half of baseball to play. But when you're sitting and watching it, it's weird to realize when you're there, wow, that mattered a lot more than it probably should have. And that was kind of the sudden realization that I had. I was sitting there super pumped, you know, excited. We just hit a walk off. It was really ironic that Jeter Downs came down and scored the final run uh, for the, for the Red Sox. A guy named Jeter Downs came and scored the Red Sox last run to beat the Yankees. That was weird. I thought I was in a weird, you know, twilight zone moment that was on, but it was still a good game. And that kind of gave me that sudden realization where I was like, wow, I care about this probably more than I should, to be honest, you know, and, but that's sports and you know, that's how, uh, that's how I'm going to keep rooting for the Red Sox regardless. Just beat the Yankees and everybody will be happy. And every other fan base kind of has that team um, regardless of the sport, you know, or player, you know, tennis, golf, whatever. If you beat that guy, then you're happy. You're going home. You're going home happy. And uh, that was the realization I had. I think I, I was, I, you know, I sat there and I was like, interesting. Why? Why did I care about this? I was sitting much. I was sitting at home and I was, I was talking to friends and I was doing the uh, the old Michael K. Duh, Yankees lose. You know, I was doing that. I did that repeatedly throughout the night. And you know why? Because it felt good. It felt good to beat the Yankees. And yeah, whatever. We're still in the wild card. We're 15 games back of them. 
Regardless, we beat the Yankees, and that's all that matters. Anyways, that was my rant to start the episode this morning. Welcome to the Weekend Sports Rant Podcast. I'm your host, James Timberlake. Um, if you're just tuning in, make sure, hey, if you, if you want to tune in anywhere, if you're sitting or if you're driving or something like that, you could tune into this podcast over on Spotify, on Apple, uh, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever they have over there. You can hook it up, play it on your phone. You can listen to this old podcast on your long road trip. If you are in the bathroom, taking a, taking a dump or something, I get it. We all do it. I understand. Throw on a podcast if it's really getting to you. You know what I mean? I get it. You know, have maybe a little Taco Bell or something. It's really getting to you. You're going to be there for a while, that sort of thing. Open up Spotify Chrome, share it media.com on your Chrome app or something like that, or wherever, you know, whatever your internet search provider is. Open up sharedmedia.com. I'll be right there on the front page. Hit the old play button. I'll get you through those Taco Bell struggles. I can do that for you. I'll talk you through it. I'll talk about sports to help get your mind off it. That's what I'm here for. So remember, anywhere you get your podcast, sharedmedia.com, podcastwyoming.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever, Google Podcasts, make sure you give me a, li- uh, a uh, rating, a subscribe. I'd appreciate that. It doesn't cost you anything. Maybe just a little bit of time. I really appreciate it. Helps me get out to the masses a little bit more. Puts me on a trending section, if you will. And I would really appreciate that. And um, yeah, this is the Weekend Sports Rep Podcast. I'm your host, James Timberlake. We're going to talk uh, about a couple different things. We're going to touch very briefly on uh, the MLB All-Star team. Speaking of MLB, um, they just announced this past weekend, actually, yeah, Sunday, their all-star team rosters. Um, we're going to touch on that briefly because I kind of talked about it last week. And then, well, you know, they have official rosters now, so we'll just go through and name those guys off. We're going to talk about some of the bigger news in the NFL this week, which was the uh, uh, Baker Mayfield being traded to the Carolina Panthers for a fourth-round pick. We're going to talk about that a little bit. And then we're going to talk a little bit about NBA free agency because it's kind of kicking off. It officially started, officially started the uh, July 6th. So that was about last week around this time. And uh, we've got players going over to another team, other teams now that's officially started. There were rumblings beforehand because that's something you can kind of do in the NBA. You can go talk to these guys, kind of get a, a handshake agreement before July 6th comes around. And then you can get the ink agreement, if you will, that sort of thing. And so... Um, that's going on, and I'm going to talk through some of the extensions, some of the people that moved, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, yeah, we're going to get into all that stuff. But first, let's just start very quickly. MLB All-Star rosters are uh, have been selected, so we're going to take a look at those. The starters for the American League, catcher Alejandro Kirk from Toronto. It's his first All-Star selection. At first base, we have Vladimir Guerrero Jr. from Toronto, his second All-Star correction, his second base. Uh, Jose Altuve from the Astros, his eighth All-Star selection. Third base, Rafael Devers, Boston, his second All-Star selection. Shortstop, Tim Anderson from the White Sox, his second All-Star selection. Outfield, you got Mike Trout from the Angels, his 10th All-Star selection. Aaron Judge from the Yankees, his fourth All-Star selection. And Giancarlo Stanton from the Yankees as well, his fifth All-Star selection as well. And then Shohei Otani, he got picked twice, once for being a DH. His second all-star selection there. And then he got picked again as a pitcher. And I don't technically know if that... I don't actually know if he gets picked as a DH and a pitcher, if that counts as twice, or do they just count that all as one? I don't know how that works. It's kind of confusing. Really, only a, a problem that we've recently had to walk into because of Shohei Otani. And another reason you should be watching Shohei Otani, because he is truly a... 
unicorn in uh, a sport that is kind of played by the book for so long, other than, you know, Babe Ruth back in the 20s. Uh, Shohei is kind of the first that, you know, everybody knows this, but, you know, the guy that kind of blew up the idea of a baseball player. And here he is, you know, DH as a DH all-star and a pitcher all-star. What what a crazy time we live in. Um, in the National League, catcher Wilson Contreras for the Cubs, his third all-star collect, uh, selection. First base, Paul Goldschmidt from the Cardinals, his seventh all-star selection. Jazz Chisholm from the Marlins, his first all-star selection. Third base, Manny Machado from the Padres, his sixth all-star selection. Shortstop, Trey Turner from the Dodgers, his second all-star selection. Uh, Ronald Lacuna Jr. from the Braves, his third all-star selection. Mookie Betts from the Dodgers, his sixth all-star selection. Bryce Harper from the Phillies got selected for DH, uh, his seventh all-star selection, but he'll be replaced by William Contreras from the Braves because uh, Harper has his injury. And then um, I skipped one here. Sorry, the Jock Peterson from the Giants gets his second all-star selection as well. So we had a couple of uh, snubs, I would say. That's probably the best word to, but best way to describe it. Obviously, everybody knows there's, uh, you know, everybody knows there are always, always, no matter what sport you're in, there are always all-star snubs. One big one, I, there's like, Two to three that really kind of jumped off the page when I saw they weren't selected. Carlos Rodon was kind of stunning, to be honest with you, that he didn't make the team even with the reserves and the uh, and the bench players and the the substitutes and all that jazz that come out as well. Carlos Rodon was left off the uh, off the list, which was pretty surprising in my opinion. I could not believe that they left him off the list. Uh, he's having a great season. Uh, he's seventh in baseball when it comes to war for pitchers at 3.3. And he's also top 10 in baseball when it comes to hits per nine, strikeouts per nine as well. And one would think a 2.70 ERA and an 8-5 record on the season so far would be enough to get them into the All-Star game. But unfortunately, he didn't make it. And uh, that was surprising to me. I could not believe it. Another pitcher in the NL that didn't make it, Zach Wheeler. Um, he's having a fantastic year. He's 8-4 and four on the season, similar to Carlos Rodon. He's got a 2.46 ERA and a 3.2 war for pitchers. The latter two statistics have him in top 10 in baseball in those categories. So stunner there. And then the biggest one, probably Tommy Edmond. I could not believe he did not make the all-star game. Now, granted, so there's one player from each team that gets a a nod into the all-star game, obviously. And uh, their selection for the Cardinals, Tommy Edmond plays for the Cardinals was Paul Goldschmidt. And granted, Paul Goldschmidt's having one of the best years of any player in the league. He's probably one of the, I mean, not probably, he's one of the favorites to win NL MVP, and rightfully so. So that's a tough selection. But Tommy Edmond should have made it, regardless. He he ranks fifth in war in all of baseball at 4.3. He leads all of baseball in defensive war at 2.3, with the next closest being 1.6 by Nico Horner of the the Chicago Cubs. Excuse me. So, I don't understand why he's not there. He's one of the best players in the league. Um, it is a lot of fans kind of, not a lot. I want to say, because uh, it's kind of it's kind of an interesting uh, dilemma, dynamic, I would say. Um, the All-Star game, like any other, I mean, most of the All-Star games, I know NBA does it this way. I know the NFL does it this way with the Pro Bowl, even though, you know, Pro Bowl. Um, kind of a joke. But... It is a popularity contest for the most part. It is done by pop or by uh, fan votes for for the most part, and then they have like coaches or player selections, and then they have like coaches selections as well. So 
it's kind of it's a popularity contest, which is disappointing. I I don't know how else they would do it because if you take away that part of it, there is a there is a decent part of the selection that gets fan involvement, which is important for these sorts of things, especially in baseball when it is kind of losing their fan base. You know, given the type of given the game that they're playing and how distant the younger generation is kind of becoming to a longer a longer type of game like baseball a more patient type of game like baseball it is important to kind of have that fan interaction voting for their favorite players and that sort of thing i understand that but it there will to me there will be a point where we have to sit down somebody's going to get left out somebody's going to get snubbed and we have to sit down and be like why how how did this happen well, how did we, how did this guy not make the all-star game? And in the end, I don't know how important all-star selections really are. I'm, I'm sure it's, you know, it's very important for the people that get there that actually make it, you know, you'll, you're an all-star forever pretty much um, until that'll be on your baseball reference page until you die. Um, and even after you die, you're an all-star forever. You'll always be known as an all-star for whatever team you are, you're on. So I get it. I mean, it's just kind of a weird way. And, and all-star selections are also used when looking at like hall of fame resumes too so it does matter i mean if if you want to make it into the hall of fame that's something that they look at and to leave that in the hands of fans as much as it is i would say is probably a little it makes the situation seem a little more diluted if that makes sense um because it doesn't necessarily mean that these are all the best players more often than not it probably, I mean, and a lot of them are the best players. Don't get me wrong with that. But there are the snubs, like I said, who are the best players that just aren't the most popular, which can become a problem. So it's not, to me, it's not a huge deal. I just do wish that there was a better way to do it. But regardless, you would have snubs and that sort of thing, no matter how they did it. That's just how this kind of works. That's just kind of how voting for this sort of thing works. I've always said also uh, something that's similar when you look at like the college football playoff or the, you know, how they were talking about the disparity between the first uh, being first place and second place. And then third place feels like they get left out and that sort of thing when you're talking about the BCS and that's why they moved into the college football playoff. But now you just have the same issue, but it's just fifth and sixth. And then no matter how many teams you add in there, seventh and eighth, you're always going to feel like there's going to be a snub at some point. So the seventh and eighth ranked team or the eighth ranked team is going to be confused on why or the ninth ranked, excuse me, the ninth ranked team is going to be confused on why they didn't get the eighth ranked. And their, their fan base is going to go after the eighth ranked team. If the eighth ranked team gets blown out in the first game of the, of the college football playoff. So it's just kind of, it's an, it's a, it's a hamster wheel that is never going to stop regardless of how we change it. There's always going to be snubs, no matter what, no matter who gets selected for the all-star game. Even if they, even if they get it all right, in terms of statistically, if they get every single one of them right, the fan base for one of the players that gets snubbed is always going to speak up and talk about it. So even if you did change it, I don't know how you change it to make everybody happy, and sometimes that's just the case. Not everybody's going to be happy. And unfortunately, I do think Tommy Edmond should be an all-star, especially Tommy Edmond. He's been one of the best players, especially defensively this season. But regardless, he's got another he'll, he'll get another chance to be an all-star as well. So... You live and you, you live and you let learn, you know, that's just kind of how it works. Um, speaking of pitchers, I didn't talk about the pitchers on the rosters. Um, I'll go quickly. Paul Blackburn from Oakland, his first star all-star selection. This is the American league. Emmanuel Glasse from Cleveland, his first all-star selection. Garrett Cole, his fifth all-star selection with the Yankees. Nestor Cortez, 
his first first all-star selection with the Yankees as well. Clay Holmes also with the Yankees, his first all-star selection. Jorge, Jorge Lopez from the Orioles, his first all-star selection. Alec Manoa from the Blue Jays, his first all-star selection. Shane McClanahan from the Rays, his first all-star selection. There's Otani for the Angels, his second. Martin Perez with the Rangers, his first. Gregory Soto with the Tigers, his second. And Framber Valdez, Framber Valdez and Houston. Uh, Framber Valdez and Verlander from Houston, excuse me. Uh, it's Ver- Verlander's ninth and Valdez's first. And then in the National League, Sandy Alcantara from the Marlins, his second selection. David Bedner from uh, the Pirates, his first selection. Corbin Burns from the Brewers, his second selection. Luis Castillo from the Reds, his second selection. Edwin Diaz from the Mets, his second selection. Max Fried from the Braves, his first selection. Tony Gonsolin from the Dodgers, his first selection. Josh Hader from the Brewers, his fourth selection. Ryan Helsley from the Cardinals, his first selection. Clayton Kershaw, hometown. Of course, he's going to make the team uh, with it being played in um, Los Angeles at Dodger Stadium this year. Of course, he's going to make the team uh, his ninth selection. Joe Mantiply from the Diamondbacks, his first selection. And Joe Musgrove from the Padres, his first selection as well. We also got home run derby names, some home run derby names. I'm going to have to remember these off the top of my head because I didn't write them down. Juan Soto is going to be in it. They're going to have somebody from the Dodgers in it, but they haven't announced the name yet. Um, Kyle Schwarber is going to be in it. That's a big pickup for them. Uh, Pete Alonzo's back. He's going for back to back to back. Um, Ronald Acuna Jr. from the Braves is going to be in it. And guess, guess who else? Old man himself, Albert Pujols, is going to be in it. I don't know how he's going to do it. He's 42 years old. He's going to be in the Home Run Derby. It's his fifth appearance in the Home Run Derby. I don't know how he's going to... If he wins, the Derby's fraudulent. Okay, I'll be honest with you. There's no way. Albert Pujols, he's 42 years old. If he beats some of these younger dudes, big fraud alert. It's a big fraud alert. Now, for a guy like Pete Alonzo who is going for, he's won two in a row. He's going for back to back to back. Um, this is kind of a big deal. I mean, it was kind of, it's a bigger deal. It was a bigger deal in the past than it is now, I would say. So he signed with the Mets in 2016 and he made a signing bonus of 909,000. He was in the lower levels in minor league baseball. So he made a different amount of money up until 2019. And then he was back on the Mets. He didn't make a lot of money in comparison to, you know, the rest of the MLB. But uh, he made $555,000 in his first year, $241,674 in his second year. That was the COVID year 2020, so everybody made less. 2021, he made $676,775. So his salary was not the highest in comparison to a lot of other guys that play baseball, obviously. So the Home Run Derby kind of meant a lot. And if you didn't know, Home Run Derby winners, they they make a million dollars. They have a million dollar check that you win if you win the Home Run Derby. So $1 million is not something that Pete Alonzo was going to, you know, pass up lightly because of how much money, how much money he was making during his rookie contract years, you know, 555,000. That's if he makes, if he wins home run derby, he doubles that with just winning the derby. And you know, this guy only does is eat home runs. Now, granted 2022, they agreed to a one-year deal to avoid arbitration of one year, $7.4 million. So it doesn't hit as much as it did before. You know, it's not going to, Really, I don't think it's going to eat at him as much as it did before because of how important the money. I mean, you know, you know, it all all relative, obviously, you know, a million, you know, living off six hundred seventy six thousand dollars is not something I don't think we would all have difficulty with. But you get what I'm saying. I mean, that million dollars compared to that seems like a lot more. So it's going to be different this year. 
Maybe he'll lose. I don't think he will. He's kind of built for this competition. I hope Schwarber wins, to be honest with you, because I love Schwarber, and I love his swing, and I think he's fun to watch, former Red Sox legend. Um, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Home run derby is always the funnest thing during All-Star Week. I don't even, I usually don't even watch the game, to be honest with you, the actual the actual All-Star game. I'd rather watch the home run derby just because it's more fun to watch. But we'll see what happens. Hopefully All-Star game is fun. The whole All-Star weekend should be fun. And you want know maybe even the celebrity softball game will be fun as well. Hopefully that's fun. And that's, you know, that's kind of fun to watch as well. So we'll see what happens. Go Schwarber. I hope Schwarber wins. Alonzo back to back to back would be pretty cool. But so would Albert Pujols winning, you know, the Homer Derby at 42 years old. So that's the Homer Derby. That's All-Star Game weekend. That's coming up. Uh, we're going to move on here to the biggest football news that came out of this past weekend. Baker Mayfield traded finally from Cleveland to the Carolina Panthers. Now he's going from one bad situation, I would say. You know, it wasn't a, a terrible situation beforehand until the Cleveland Browns decided to give up most of their, you know, draft uh, draft picks to get to get um, Deshaun Watson from Houston. And then you know, the Baker Mayfield situation kind of collapsed in on itself and uh, feelings were not, uh, the, the, the whole trade was not taken well on Baker Mayfield's end, obviously because of, you know, the lack of belief in his ability and the guy, you know, I do feel for the guy. There's not a really a worse situation to be left out on for that reason, just because of how volatile that situation has kind of become in terms of the Cleveland Browns taking really giving up a lot of their assets to get a guy like Deshaun Watson with everything that is surrounding him. So as Baker Mayfield, you can't feel but a little bit hurt that that's the kind of the situation they would rather have than have you. And Baker Mayfield, the guy didn't play great last year. Granted, he was not good last year, but he was also playing injured. He didn't, he was dealing with injuries all season long. And um, his idea was he was going to play through them to try to get them as far as they could get them as a best of a record as they could to get them into the playoffs and win them a Super Bowl. That was the idea. And then it kind of collapsed in on itself. Baker Mayfield learned the hard way that don't play injured. <laughs> if you're a football player and you're looking to make the big bucks, if you're looking to make money and you're hurt, sit out. Do not play because you are going to lose your opportunity for money. If Baker Mayfield comes out, they probably sign him to a bigger extension if Deshaun Watson does not come up to them. And, you know, if Baker doesn't have the season that he had last year, they're probably not even thinking about Deshaun Watson in Cleveland. They're thinking more about signing Baker Mayfield to the extension that he uh, deserved at the beginning of last year. And now that's kind of all gone out the window and Baker Mayfield gets traded to Carolina for a fourth round pick. So, you know, uh, it's a fifth round. It's a conditional fifth round pick, um, but it could become a fourth round pick. Um, the Carolina Panthers QB room is a little dicey, I would say. I don't know how much better this really makes the Panthers. Granted, if Baker Mayfield is healthy, I think he's a better quarterback than Sam Darnold. I really do. I don't think I th I don't think they're really comparable. We've at least seen Baker Mayfield have flashes. His rookie of the year campaign with the with the Browns was big. They beat the Steelers in the playoffs, which a lot of a lot of uh, Browns fans never thought would happen as long as Ben Roethlisberger was in Pittsburgh, but they did it just a few years ago. They were able to do it with Baker Mayfield behind center and Sam Darnold never has really shown that in my opinion, uh, with, with the Jets and then with the, with the Panthers either, he was not very good with the Panthers. Um, 
But, you know, if you're a Panthers fan, you can't really. It's not like you just got your franchise QB or anything like that. It doesn't feel that way. They've traded away a second rounder, a third rounder, two fourth rounders, a fifth rounder, and a sixth round pick. The Panthers have in order to get Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, and Matt Corral. And granted, Matt Corral could be the answer. They drafted him last year in the first, second round, excuse me, in the second round of the NFL draft. Not last year, this last draft. So in the 2022 draft, they drafted him in the uh, second round of the draft. And maybe he could be the answer. He is coming off a torn ACL, so it's, you know, He's not coming back really anytime soon, or he's not going to start for the Panthers anytime soon, but he could be the answer as well. Nobody really knows in that situation. He was one of the highest touted quarterback prospects coming out of college uh, at Ole Miss before he played in the bowl game and he got, he tore his ACL. So he was a big, you know, prospect for the Panthers for a long time, but you know, he still weighs out and, They have to field a somewhat competitive team. The Panthers have to field somewhat of a competitive team coming into the season. So, and Baker Mayfield was really the only option of somebody other than like Russell Wilson, who was also an option on the table, but they missed out on that with the Broncos picking him up. And uh, it really does feel like Baker's kind of the best option. And the Panthers didn't want to step into the disaster that has become the Deshaun Watson situation. So they took the next best option that they saw available. And that was Baker Mayfield and I don't know. We'll see what happens there. I think Baker Mayfield could come back better. The only thing that they're going to have a problem with, um, in my opinion, is pass protection. They had troubles with that all season last long last year. The Panthers did all season long. They were not a good pass protection team. They were one of the worst. Their offensive line was not very good. It was one of the worst as well. They had the fifth worst pass blocking grade among offensive lines in the NFL. According to PFF last year, they came in with a 53.9 pass block grade and then their run block grade, which I mean, this won't affect uh, Baker Mayfield as much, but it could affect, you know, how much they can actually get in the run game, which obviously opens things up for the pass game. But the Panthers had an eighth ranked, the eighth worst uh, run blocking offensive line last year as well. So they did not have a good offensive line last season. And they answered that a little bit, in the offseason, they signed uh, guard Austin Corbett, who's coming off a Super Bowl season with the um, Los Angeles Rams. So that's, you know, a good signing. He does. His weakness has been uh, has been pass protection. That's not one of his strengths by any means. But, I mean, he's still a good run blocker. He's a better run blocker than he is a pass blocker. He allowed, um, or excuse me, he allowed 34 pressures on 674 pass blocking attempts this past season. And that's a pressure rate of 5.04%. And that ranks 38th out of 68 qualified guards, according to PFF. So they're answering at least something. And it's, you know, it's entirely possible that Austin Corbett gets better at the guard position. And he does become a good uh, pass blocking guard for the Panthers. They also um, drafted with the sixth overall pick in the 2022 draft, Ikem Ikwanu from uh, NC State. And that was a big draft piece. He's 320 pounds. He's going to be probably pretty good. He's a tackle. And, you know, he was a high, 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 high rated draft prospect out of out of NC State. He was expected to not expected, but some people did have him going first overall as well um, with his uh, with his natural ability being 6'4", 320 pounds as a tackle. That's kind of a big deal. So that could shore up the left side for Baker Mayfield when he's throwing. And that's kind of a big deal. But Nobody knows right now. We'll see what happens. I hope Baker Mayfield can bounce back. Nothing will make me feel better than Baker Mayfield kind of 
and, and not to mention, this is kind of big, the first game of the season for the Panthers, if Baker Mayfield does play, the very first game, week one for the Panthers, is at home against the Cleveland Browns. How nice, how just would that be? Just chef's kiss would that be to see Baker Mayfield kind of just give the Browns the finger after what they kind of have put them put him through and the rest of that fan base, to be honest with you, put them through um, other than to beat them at home in the new uniform. I think that would be great. That would be just perfect. And that is uh, the first week in the season. That would be an awesome, awesome thing to see. I'm a big Baker Mayfield stan. I love him. I mean, he. a lot of people don't like him just because of his attitude. They kind of get on his nerves. But if you're a Browns fan, it's it'd be weird to me that you're rooting for Deshaun Watson, and then, but you're upset at Baker Mayfield. That would be a weird juxtaposition, in my opinion. I don't understand how you would be able to get around that argument. Um, but there are people that do it. So whatever, you know, uh, root for who you want. Just Understand the line is there, and sometimes you got to approach their line and read it in order to understand what's going on. So, yeah. Anyways, that's kind of the situation for the Panthers. Um, I hope they're better. They should be good, but who knows? Nobody really knows. They could win the Super Bowl, and I wouldn't be all that it, uh, that you know. I wouldn't be all that surprised. That was a joke. I would be surprised if they won the Super Bowl. That'd be pretty insane. Um, but anyways, we'll see what happens. Um, up next here, we've got the. Free agency in the NBA is going to be the last thing we talk about. It was a spendy free agency. Flood markets opened. The flood markets, what flood markets, the floodgates were opened as the markets opened for NBA players. Excuse me, I can bind my words there. The floodgates opened on July 6th. It was a big day. First off, Denver Nuggets fans, you were really happy. No money in the world seemed like not enough for Nikola Jokic. You could you would have spent anything to keep him, and you basically did speak uh, did did spend anything to keep him. Nuggets signed Nikola Jokic to an extension of five years, two hundred and seventy million dollars, the richest contract in NBA history. I don't, you know, it's a lot of money, but Nikola Jokic is coming off back to back MVPs. You know, I, I don't, I don't blame them one bit for going that direction. Uh, guard Bradley Beal re-signed with the Wizards for five years, $251 million. Devin Booker re-signed with the Suns for four years, $224 million. Carl Anthony Towns with the Timberwolves uh, just recently got a big piece. The Timberwolves got recently a really big piece. We'll see how good it is. You guys know my thoughts on Rudy Gobert. But anyways, Timberwolves got Rudy Gobert from the Jazz in a trade, brought him over to the Timberwolves. And he will be playing with the T-Wolves now. I'm not a Rudy Gobert stan. I don't really like him. I've never been a huge fan of his. I don't think he's great for playoff basketball. I don't think he's very good. And in the sense of it being a series, I guess, it's easier to game plan against a guy like that in a series than it is just one day on a Tuesday. You're going down to, you know, or going up to Utah and playing one of the best shot defenders in the league. But when you have a series to prepare against that guy he can be game planned right off the court and that's what has happened to the uh the jazz the last few years that is exactly what's happened they basically uh, the good teams good coaches and kind of just game plan him right off of the court and he becomes just a big man that is not always in the right spot and if you pick and roll him he comes out to the to the three-point line and he can't guard anybody out there especially a guy like Devin Booker or Stephon, Stephen Curry or, you know, um, um, Luka Doncic. Doesn't matter who it is. He's not a guy that's going to guard those guys, and that's what they're going to pick on and feast on forever. 
if you're going to sign a guy like that or trade him or, you know, that's just my opinion. I don't think he's worth trading half of your future away. And that's kind of what the Timberwolves just did. Um, so we'll see what happens there. It could, it might make them a better team. It'll make them a better regular season team for sure. For absolutely, absolutely a better regular season team, but will it help them in the playoffs? I don't really know. I don't think so. Just because, I mean, this, the, the Gobert is going to a better team in my opinion, in the T-Wolves, they have, they have more depth, um, better all-around team. Donovan Mitchell was kind of the crowning achievement on that Jazz team. Rightfully so. He's a very good player. But uh, Anthony Edwards is on this T-Wolves team. Carl uh, Anthony Towns is very good. He's also on this T-Wolves team. And also D'Angelo Russell, who's kind of like kind of been quiet, even though he was an all-star two or three years ago, also been kind of quiet, but also is on this T-Wolves team. I think they're just more depthy. They're, they got more depth on this T-Wolves team than I think the Jazz did. So we'll see how that kind of figures itself out. I don't know how you're going to play Cat and Rudy Gobert down low. Cat is not as good of a defender as Rudy Gobert is. And if they're both out there on the three-point line, thanks to pick and rolls, it's going to be, it's going to be a, it's going to be a bad time, I think. (laughs) Um, But the Timberwolves, they did re-sign Carl Anthony Towns, four years, $224 million. Uh, Zach Levine re-signed with the Bulls for five years, $215 million. John Morant got his rookie extension, five years, $193 million. Zion Williamson got his rookie extension, five years, $193 million. Lugens Dort, also just Lou Dort, for the Thunder, re-signed for five years, $87.5 million. And then Bobby Portis re-signed with the Bucks for four years, $49 million. Some players that left and found new teams, Jalen Brunson, going from the Mavericks to the Knicks, uh, signed four years, $104 million there. JaVale McGee. Signs with the Mavericks for three years, $20 million. Uh, P.J. Tucker, a huge piece. This is a big pickup for the 76ers, going from the Heat to the 76ers for three years, $33 million. A lot of people kind of pick on P.J. Tucker because he's a smaller guy for um, because he plays down low a lot. I mean, he's a, a small dude, a forward that plays center a lot, but a lot of people want P.J. Tucker on their team because of how important he is down low. He is a tough, tough dude. People, a lot of people don't understand this. They'll make fun of PJ Tucker. It is not the same to run into PJ Tucker as it is, you know, a, a small, lanky, big center. PJ Tucker is a big, tough dude, and that's a big signing for the 76ers. I think that's a huge, good signing for the Sixers. I think he is going to add that kind of uh, that uh, grit that the Sixers have kind of felt like they've been missing as a Sixers, as the the rest of the team has kind of been missing. Um, and I think that'll be a big signing for them. And I think it will pay dividends in the long haul. I think that's a very underrated signing for them that could push them possibly over the top if he plays well enough. Um, some other ones, John wall. When's the last time you heard that name? John wall. He'd been on the rockets kind of eroding away with the rockets for a while. He hasn't played, but, uh, he just signed a free agent deal with the Clippers from the rockets to the Clippers for two years, $13 million and Malik Monk. Goes to the Kings for two years, $19 million as well. We got a couple for remaining free agents that are big. James Harden coming off a season with the Sixers. He was kind of a, I wouldn't say a disaster. He was better with the Sixers than he was with the Nets, but still kind of a mess. Um, and if Harden resigns with the Sixers, there have been reports that Harden will resign with the Sixers for lesser money. That would be big for them just to get another piece. We'll see what happens there. There's also DeAndre Ayton. He's a restricted free agent. So basically, uh, any team that approaches him, lays down an offer sheet. If he signs that offer sheet, the Suns, who are were his original team, can match that offer sheet and bring him back. So 
There are rumors of him going over to the Pacers in like a sign-in trade deal also, which would be big. Um, but we'll see what happens there. No idea. Um, restricted free agent. And I don't think the Suns are going to pick up any option that is approached to him just because of how volatile that relationship has kind of become with the Suns. So we'll see. Um, that would be a big piece for the Suns to lose, but it could clear them up and they could be in the running for uh, Kevin Durant since the Nets want to trade Kevin Durant now as well. So we'll see what happens. Uh, also, Colin Sexton is still a remaining free agent. He was originally with the Cavaliers. Unrestricted free agent, he can kind of go anywhere he wants. And then Montrez Harrell with the Hornets, also unrestricted free agent, can kind of go anywhere he wants. So that's free agency. Um, Kind of coming to a close a little bit. It kind of all explodes the first day uh, on the 6th because a lot of these deals have already been made and created. And then everybody kind of calms down, and that's kind of what free agency, how free agency works in the NBA. But there's still a couple names out there, obviously, and uh, some of them will be big to leading a team to the NBA Finals, and it might not be the signing that we're all looking at or, you know, really paying attention to, like Malcolm Brogdon and Danilo Gallinari going to the Celtics. That would that feels like a huge, huge signing for them. Excuse me, a trade for them. Uh, Gallinari was a signing, but Brogdon was a huge, huge get for the Celtics. I think that makes them a lot better, and uh, they were, you know, not far away from winning the NBA Finals, and I think that makes them better. So it should be good. Um, Another thing I want to close out with here really quickly has been the Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving um, situation in Brooklyn. This, I just kind of want to give my opinion on it. Everybody kind of knows the story now. Kevin Durant is looking for a trade out now after Kyrie Irving was kind of weighing his options to be traded as well, but he opted into his final year of his contract after being unable to find a suitable sign and trade deal with the Nets. He is now opted in. They could still trade him. The Nets could still trade Kyrie Irving, but Durant has kind of stepped back and said, look, unreliable. This has become unreliable. I don't want to be in this situation anymore. I would like to look for a trade. And so they're looking for a trade for Kevin Durant now. And he just signed a uh, a deal with the uh, Nets as well in August of 2021, an extension for four years. I think it was $189 million as well. So this has been a disaster for the Nets, a disaster freaking disaster they kind of trade it feels very reminiscent of i think i talked about this before i feels like i'm having deja vu but regardless it feels like the same mistake that um the nets have already made it was under different ownership though um but they've made a similar mistake where this was back in the early 2010s if i remember correctly correctly 2012 2013 something like that when they traded like basically their entire future to get um, aging Kevin Garnett, aging Paul Pierce over from Boston. And that allowed Boston to get uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and look where they are now. And um, you know, the, the guys on the nets basically, I mean, they didn't do anything on that team. They weren't successful at all. And then they had to start trading away their pieces as well. And then it all fell apart. And that it's astonishing to me that, they, I won't say fell for that because it's not like Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving were coming into Brooklyn on their last legs, you know, as an aging group. I mean, they're still, I won't say Ky- like Kevin Durant's in their prime, in his prime still or anything like that. I think he's kind of on the, the, the faded end of his prime, I would say. He's still very, very good at basketball. Do not get me wrong. He's still one of the best players in the league, but he's not as dominant as he was with 
you know, those early years with the Warriors, I would say, or anything like that, or the late years with the Thunder. But Kyrie Irving, I don't feel like is um, out of his prime either. He's just unreliable when it comes to being on the court. He's only played, I think they only played, um, I think it was like 58 games together. They played 58 games together combined, including the playoffs across three seasons. Um, Durant obviously was recording, uh, recovering from a torn Achilles. That's part of it. But when he was there, when he was actually playing, he wasn't, uh, Irving wasn't playing that much with him either. So, I mean, it's just a complete disaster. It was, it's, it's, it was surprising. It's surprising to me that the same thing has kind of happened to the Nets that happened to them before they were, they're getting. And like I said, it's not the exact same scenario, but people now want to get out of town after they've kind of run it through the ropes the past three seasons and they realize this isn't going to work. And this is a, a, the epitome and I'm all for player empowerment. I'm never going to say the player shouldn't have power. They create the product that we watch today and enjoy without them. This product is not any good and it doesn't make nearly amount of money that it has. I'm all for player empowerment. I will never be against it, but it is interesting to see that player empowerment backfire, not necessarily on the players that are empowering because they basically both Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving basically have run this franchise in the same way that LeBron James has kind of run whatever franchise he's connected with in the shadows. And it's, uh, they took a similar go at it with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. And now as we watch it kind of crumble, we'll see how that, um, outlook on things, the player empowerment outlook will really affect people signing players going forward. That'll be the interesting look into, um, that sort of thing, just because it'll look worse than it probably is. Instead of looking at, I mean, obviously, you know, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are at default. I would say are at default here. They're both have not been reliable. I mean, Kyrie Irving more so. He's just been kind of not reliable on the court or anything. Not reliable to be on the court or anything like that. While Kevin Durant has kind of tried to push this team with uh, James Harden, who was, was a disaster with the Nets. Um, he's kind of tried to push this team into the f- playoffs and then into the finals where Kyrie Irving comes back and try to win a season, but they haven't won a single playoff series together. So it's been an unmitigated disaster. You can be a playoff team and not make the finals. It's not a good season, especially with the guys like this. So I don't know. I will see what happens. It'll it's, it's confusing. I don't know what they'll do. I don't know how this will affect the player empowerment era that we're in right now in terms of uh, players getting a lot of the say of who they get and where they go and that sort of thing. Um, I don't think it'll have a good, a good, uh, a good effect on it. I think it's probably going to hurt the player empowerment era, but I don't know. We'll see. Cause LeBron James isn't going anywhere and he's still making a decent team, even though, uh, you know, they weren't good last year, granted, but he's is 37 years old, 38 years old. And anybody, any team in the country, in the league would trade for LeBron James on a dime if they had the possibility. So that's kind of where you can get that player empowerment from. So We'll see what happens. Um, it's just an interesting, an interesting uh, situation that the Nets are in. It's kind of, it's kind of taken over uh, headlines across the sports industry, and uh, it probably will continue to take over headlines in the sports industry until those teams, uh, until Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving are gone, or until they agree to play together. So, um, yeah, that's that situation. We'll see what happens there. That's NBA free agency, and that 
is the podcast for this week. I want to thank you very much for tuning in. Please remember, rate, subscribe, the whole shebang. Please remember to do that. I would greatly appreciate it. It doesn't cost you anything or anything like that. It just takes a little bit of time, and I'd appreciate it, and it gets me out there a little bit more. Um, but other than that, this has been the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast, and I have been your host, James Timberlake. <laughs>